You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today. Good morning, Mary. Um, there's not much to love about the end of summer, but I love... One thing I do love is seeing everyone back from holidays or students back in town, seeing all your lovely faces. Um, I, yeah, I just love when everyone comes back to church and it feels really full in here. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, speaking of church, we're going to be spending the month of September on that very topic, talking about church. And the, and the reason that we want to talk about church is because we feel it's good every so often to take some time and just like come back to the basics and remind ourselves of, of why we're here and, and what our purpose is as the church, um, what the Bible says about what our purpose is about for the church, right? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be discussing that, um, as well as some of the different programs and, and elements we take part in as a church, like things like worship and, and prayer and kids and youth ministries and, and, and more. And, 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 we're, and we'll talk about why we do them and uh, why we believe they serve to accomplish our God-given mission and passion at the gate, which, and our passion is, is written on our purpose statement and hanging on the wall there, but it's also written in our hearts too. It's a desire in our hearts, which is to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. That's what we're all about at the gate. And um, today I'm going to be focusing on the importance of fellowship within the church, the importance of fellowship, what, what it means why it's important, and also what we attempt and what we offer here at the gate to cultivate a deeper culture of fellowship. And I say attempt because we're not perfect at it. We're not perfect at this. We're, we're learning. We're always open to ideas. We're, we're trying to grow, and we're trying to do our best. We're not perfect. Um, but fellowship is incredibly important, so we pursue it. But before we get into that, I want to I want to just quickly get, give an overview concerning what God says in his word about the purpose of the church as a whole, as the purpose of a church in general, because we won't really grasp the need or purpose for fellowship or whatever else we do at the gate unless we first grasp the big picture and primary purpose of it all. And on that end, there are many passages we could turn to about this. But I like this one from Ephesians three ten to 12 which says this, so he's referring to preaching Jesus, the the gospel, to both Jews and Gentiles. He says, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So what, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that through the re- redemptive work of Christ, through Jesus, the purpose of the church is to be a manifestation, which is like a visible image or portrayal of the wisdom of God. Jesus also refers to this as being like a city on a hill or as being salt and light in the world. In John thirteen thirty five, he says it like this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know. Right? That's what we're all about. So that all people will know. 
so we love one another. That, that's, a, that's a pretty high calling, right? To be this, this visible manifestation of the wisdom and love of God. To be a living display of his kingdom to all people. Amen to that. On, on this topic, Greg Gilbert writes, it's, it's not that the church is perfect or that it showcases the life of the kingdom without flaw. But believe it or not, the church is the primary arena God has chosen to make his redemptive reign over his people visible. So, us, all of you, he's chosen us, a random group of, of unique yet broken, sometimes hypocritical, definitely imperfect, sometimes self-centered, yet forgiven sinners, right? We've, he's chosen us. By his wisdom, we've been called and transformed for this. It, it sounds crazy, right? Um, but that's really the point, that God's wisdom is meant to be displayed through those that need his grace. So the world can see us being transformed, and say, how is that possible? Well, only because of God. Right? To, we're, we're here to show the world that through the gospel of Jesus, people and, and sinners of all ages and ethnicities and can be redeemed, reconciled, and, and even joined together under one banner, unified by one spirit, all for his glorious purpose, to display his light in the darkness. That's pretty awesome. And, and this is precisely why our passion and our priority at the gate is, is to proclaim the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And, and, and it's why the underlying purpose and priority, therefore, of, of every event or, or service or mission or program or investment here, here at the church is, is meant to, to cultivate that and give space to accomplish this goal, or at least to build and work toward it. And on that note, you may have noticed a common theme coming up as we've been talking about the primary purpose of the church, and it's that the church is made up of people. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people. Church is made up of people. Being a Christian, then, isn't merely about an individual or personal relationship with Jesus. That's part of it, and that's important, but it's not all of it. Ultimately, it's about being built up together together as the body of Christ. Because only together can we fully become who we're called to be. Only together can we display the wisdom of God in word and in deed. Besides, Jesus even said that that, uh, when he comes again, he's not coming for individuals per se, but for his unified church. He's coming for his bride, right? In fact, on the night before he went to the cross, he prayed this, and therefore he died to accomplish this. In John 17, 21, he prayed for his disciples that they may all be one, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then Paul emphasizes this when he writes in Ephesians for us to make every effort to obtain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
So, and, and we see this over and over again throughout the New Testament, this need for, for unity and togetherness that's required to, to accomplish the mission of God so that the world will know him. And again, this is why we prioritize and seek to cultivate a growing culture of fellowship here at the gate. In, in Acts 2, it says the early church devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And it's from that place of devotion where God blessed them with great church growth, with signs and wonders, and were even able to, to flourish and plant churches in a great time of persecution. Like them, we, we want to continue to grow in our devotion to fellowship as well so that God can use us to, to expand and proclaim his kingdom. The thing is, though, is that we all need to be devoted to make this work. One or two people can't create a culture of fellowship on their own. Right? It takes all the fellows to steer the ship. No one, no one like that? All right. That's my only joke today, so. Yes, he did. It takes us all. So, but before I get ahead of myself, what exactly is fellowship? I, I recognize that that word isn't used much anymore. Um, my son just asked me right before I was preaching, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on fellowship. He's like, what's fellowship? He, he has no idea. Uh, we don't really use that word. It's kind of a Christianese type of word. We often replace it this today with the word community. We've got to build community or seeking out community, right? Um, and, and when the word is used, it doesn't really carry much weight. For many, fellowship means just hanging out together and um, just getting together. But when the Bible uses this word, it means so much more than just hanging out, right? The, the original Greek word for it is koinonia. And this word, koinonia, it carries uh, the connotation of participating or being joined together for a unified purpose. On one level, this means that we can find uh, a semblance or, or a type of fellowship with others through many different venues. Like, you know, we could join the army or, or join a club or, or we can, you know, find fellowship through our nationality or ideologies or join a sports team or whatever, right? For example, I play soccer, so uh, when, when I'm playing with my teammates or even ha- just hanging out in the locker room before and after getting ready for the game, um, in a sense, that means we're in fellowship together because we're participating together for the same purpose, right? We're using our, our unique gifts and skills uh, to work together as one unified unit for, for the same goal to get the win, right? And like soccer, there are... There, there are many things that we can't do on our own. We, we often need each other. And so on that end, even in our highly individualistic and, and self-centered culture that we live in, we all know and we all still recognize the value of community and relationships. We all need that stuff, right? Which is, which is why we often look for it and, and can even find a semblance of it in, in many different ways. But fellowship within the church actually goes deeper than than any club or sports team or even any ideology for that matter. In fact, the the reason why the church, including ours this morning, can can be filled with so many many diverse people of different ages and and ethnicities and interests and backgrounds and, and social statuses is because 
our fellowship is rooted deeply in, in something bigger than ourselves. Right? It, it's rooted in Christ, unified by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 1 John 1.3 it says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And he defines what fellowship with us means, that you may share in what we have seen and heard. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in summary, in summary then, we, we see how, how deep this fellowship is, that through Christ we have this vertical fellowship with God the Father, and we have a horizontal fellowship with one another, unified by His Spirit. To be in koinonia, then, to be in, in that fellowship, then, is to participate and share in the grace of Christ together. To be in one heart and mind as we proclaim the love of Christ together. Underline, underlining this idea, again, of how much we need to be in unity and in fellowship with one another and growing in it and pursuing in it if we're to accomplish our God-given mission as the church. We need to be in fellowship. We can't and aren't meant to do it on our own. As, as it says in 1 Corinthians as well, the body of Christ, like the human body, is made up of many different parts, right? And each one is integral. And we've each been given an opportunity to play a part. And in the same way, we can only function fully if we're all doing our part. So Christian fellowship is a responsibility but it's also beneficial. It's a responsibility, but it's also beneficial. And on that note, the Bible highlights for us the many benefits of being in fellowship. And I have, I have seven benefits. I'm going to just burn through them really quick. Each one could be a sermon, but don't worry. I'm just going to burn through them. Um, number one, when we're in fellowship, people are watching out for us. Right? People have our backs Right? We can keep each other accountable, keep each other away from sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we have, we, we have each other's backs. Right? Another benefit is that we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Right? We have a sense of being part of, of an eternal family, and, and we've been given a place to belong. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Together you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of his body. Each one of you is part of this. Number three, it's within fellowship that we can discover and use our, our various and unique spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So as, as we're in fellowship with one another, serving the common good, we, we discover and use our gifts, right? Uh, number four, we get to love and serve others while being loved and served as well. Number five, we can give to one another and share in all things. Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Number six, when we're in fellowship, we can comfort one another. We can bear each other's burdens. We can help each other persevere in faith. 
And we all know how amazing it is when, when people are willing to, to make meals or, or listen to us or pray with us or, or sit with us or cry with us or laugh with us, right? We, we all need that. And we all know how amazing that is, especially in the moments when we really do need that. And number seven, in the same way, we can, we can encourage and build one another up in the Lord and good works, which is why it says in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So that list isn't, is, isn't uh, exhaustive, but it highlights the fact that being in fellowship has many amazing benefits, which all, in the end, contribute to our mandate as a church to be built up as the body of Christ so that the world can see the wisdom and love of God through us. All right, so now that we've you know, discussed what fellowship means and we've highlighted some of the benefits, you might be wondering, what does it actually look like to cultivate or even take part in fellowship as the church. And first of all, I, w- I want to note that I use the word cultivate here because deep fellowship, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just be like, we're, we're all going to be in fellowship now and, and, and then have fellowship, right? Um, the Bible is always referring to the body of Christ as being built up. In other words, we're not completely built yet. We're not perfect, but we're always growing and developing. That means we can't expect any church that we walk into to be perfectly in unity. That, that's, that's a false expectation. Um, and you're going to be let down if that is your expectation. No church is perfectly in, in unity. What we can expect is for churches to be doing their best in the strength of the Spirit, to be pursuing it, to be growing in it, and to be creating opportunities and spaces for it, which is what we're trying to do here at the gate. Um, so with that being said, according to the Bible, I have another seven points here about this uh, and how we cultivate and take part in fellowship. And my first point is that we cultivate and take part in fellowship when we meet together. When we meet together. As the verse in, in Hebrews I read earlier says, do not neglect to meet together. Because it's important, right? This is, this is, it seems like common sense, but this is foundational for fellowship, that we show up. I know it's revolutionary in this day and age, but that we show up, that we hang out, that we spend time with one another, one another, where we eat together, that we get to know each other. Of course, we don't all have to be best friends, but we should be committed to being available and present. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> right, a common, a common uh, self-centered temptation for us in this culture that we live in is to think, well, this isn't for me. I don't know, that service won't benefit me. And so we don't show up, right? I've, I've thought that too. I've, I'm preaching to myself here. But when we're thinking like that, what we're doing is we're forgetting the big picture, that it's not just about you. Right? It's about the body of Christ. It's about coming together 
to make God known. And if you don't show up, then a part of the body is missing and the church isn't functioning like it should be. Besides, we can really only only serve and love and share and encourage and exhort one another in Christ when we're together. So again, we, we cultivate and we practice fellowship when we meet together. Meeting together is so important. Which leads us to my second point, which kind of goes beyond that and builds on that. Number two, we, we cultivate and we take part in fellowship when we make and build relationships within the church. So as, as, a, as a smaller church, we, we certainly can't throw money at everything. We certainly can't run every type of program and event under the sun, right? We only have a certain, certain small budget. We have only a certain amount of staff, a certain amount of volunteers, right? So we, we can't be doing everything. But one of the strengths we do have as a small church over a larger church is, is that we can build and cultivate deep relationships, right? We're, we're like a family here. In fact, we need to be. Um, Carl Vaders, he writes, this is a long quote, but I couldn't think of anything to cut out, so I'm just going to read it all. But he writes this. He says, small churches live and die on the strength of their relationships. The greatest vision, process, and program in the world will either succeed or fail based on how well they work within the interpersonal relationships of the church. Relationships are the backbone of whether or not a small church grows numerically. When people choose to attend a small church for the first time, it's not because they were attracted by the building or the graphic design for the latest sermon series, though Blair does a great job of ours. Um, They either came because they're new in town, because someone invited them, or both. Conversely, when someone leaves a small church, it might be because of the lack of programs or other systemic issues, but more likely, it's because they didn't make the relationship connections they had hoped for. Friendliness is important in any church, but it is especially important in a small one. Simply put, there is no single factor more important for the health and strength of a small church than healthy relationships with Jesus, with each other, and with the people you're trying to reach. So building Healthy relationships is, is incredibly important for cultivating and practicing a culture of fellowship. Which I should note also includes creating an atmosphere where everyone has a place and everyone feels welcome and loved. I mention this because a potential downside of building relationships is that we can become clicky, right? Or we can become comfortable in our own little circles. And then we accidentally and coincidentally leave people out or we might make guests feel unwelcome or something like that. And so we need to be aware of this. And if we're more aware of this and make it a point to include and pursue relationships on every level, you know, whether it's whether we're talking deep relationships or, or even if it's just surface level, how's it going? What's your name? I don't think we've ever met kind of relationships as you walk past each other on the stairs to grab a coffee, Right. If, if we're aware of this and, and pursuing relationships on every level, we'll be much stronger and more welcoming as the body of Christ, and we'll be building on that fellowship. All right, moving to point number three. We cultivate and take part in fellowship when we learn about Jesus together. 
This is so important. This is incredibly important. We cultivate and take part in fellowship when we learn about Jesus together. The the early church gives us this example in Acts 2.42, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. We often read or interpret this like it's like it's saying that teaching and fellowship are two different categories in that verse. But uh, really what they're implying there is that they go hand in hand. We're in fellowship as we're devoted to learning and being taught the word of God. This is actually what we're doing right now, which is awesome. We're in fellowship right now. We're, we're cultivating and growing in fellowship as we learn and grow in the word of God together. So that's incredibly important. Which brings us to number four. We, we cultivate and we take part in fellowship when we worship together. When we worship together. That worship this morning was so awesome, right? And, and, and we're in fellowship as we're doing it. And, you know, sometimes I worship by myself with my guitar in my office or whatever. Um, sometimes I worship in the car along with a, a worship album as long as no one's parked beside me at a red light or if I don't notice them. Um, but it worship... Worshiping by myself pales in comparison to when we, when we get to come together as, as the body of Christ and we come together in unity and we're worshiping God together. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Because when we come together in worship, we're, we're, we're cultivating and practicing this koinonia fellowship. We're standing as, as one body in the name of Jesus, unified by his spirit, all of us together, humbly giving thanks to God. That's, that's a powerful expression of fellowship. The next point, number five, we cultivate and practice fellowship when we do mission together. When we do mission together. So in response uh, to the Church of Philippi's commitment to mission and proclaiming the gospel, the Apostle Paul wrote to them and he said in Philippians 1, 4 to 5, he says, I thank my God in, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he, he refers to their commitment in joining them in mission and, and proclaiming the gospel He refers to that as a partnership. In other words, when we do mission together, whether it's evangelism and proclaiming the gospel, whether it's serving the poor and and doing social justice things or taking an offering for slum schools in India, we're we're cultivating and we're we're taking part in Christ-centered and Christ-glorifying fellowship. Number six, we cultivate and practice fellowship as we serve and love one another. I've already mentioned this as being one of the benefits, right? And also one of the ways in which um, the world sees God in us when we love each other, right? But this is also one of the ways in which we develop and grow as the body of Christ, as we're doing this. First Peter 4, 8 to 10 says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins, right? Nobody's perfect here. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to sin, right? But, it, but we maintain constant love for one another because we're trying to pursue that fellowship and unity. And then it goes on. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So, so there's more to all of this than just 
showing up and meeting together, right? It goes deeper than that. We need to be ready and, and willing to serve, to serve with joy, to, to sacrifice, to share, to give, to love one another as Christ has loved us, to bless and, and give to one another based on the measure of blessing and gifts that he's given us. And on that, and this is how we also discover our gifts and our passions as we're serving one another. And in the same way, it's also amazing how relationships are made and even deepened as we're serving and loving one another. And my last point then, number seven, and we cultivate and practice fellowship when we share in Christ together through communion and through prayer. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So hopefully so far you've seen how important fellowship really is. How important just meeting together on a Sunday morning really is. In fact, it's foundational to who, who we're called to be and what we're called to do as the body of Christ. And as I said, this is why we, we seek to create spaces and opportunities for this at the gate, to, to cultivate and practice fellowship. Again, we're not perfect at it. And sometimes we fall short. But it's extremely important to us because it's extremely important to Jesus and our desire to proclaim his name for the glory of God. Of course, again, this is one of the primary reasons we meet together on Sunday mornings to share in fellowship with Christ and one another. This is also why, why one of the reasons why we have spaces for worship on Sunday mornings, why we, we have worship nights sometimes and we have, we have worship at other events. This is one of the reasons why we have times for prayer before the service and you know, after the message. This is, this is why we join with other churches for, for events and services sometimes because we want to be in unity and fellowship with other local Christian communities as well. This is, this is one of the reasons that we, that we create and have opportunities to volunteer and, and serve one another within the church. And it's true, we can't function without volunteers. It's true, and, and we're so thankful for everyone that volunteers. But on the flip side, neither of us can truly function fully as Christians or grow in our gifts if we're not serving within the body of Christ. So serving and volunteering is both an opportunity and a necessity for fellowship. And our commitment to fellowship is also why we have community groups. In fact, each week when the community groups meet, uh, they prioritize and they focus on a different aspect of Koinonia Fellowship. In the first week, the, the groups meet, they, they, they meet to hang out together and, and grow in their relationships with one another. In the second and fourth week, they, the focus is growing in the Word together. In the third week, it's doing mission and, and serving together, you know, in the city somewhere. And that cycle repeats throughout the year. And of course, every night they meet, there's, there's time and space given for, for prayer so they can pray for one another and with one another. Community groups present an amazing opportunity to practice and cultivate fellowship, and I would encourage you to, to join if you're not part of one. With that being said, our, our commitment to fellowship is also why we have things like potlucks and, and events like yesterday's September celebration, which was a lot of fun, and um, a lot of junk food. 
Um, it's even why we have a fellowship time right in the middle of our service. Some people are like, some people think it's weird that we have this like time for coffee in the middle of our service, but it's because we think fellowship is so important. And you know, when people show up late and leave right when the service ends, there's no time for talking, right? So we have that fellowship time right in the middle so to, to encourage a welcoming atmosphere, to, to, to give time so that we can catch up with one another, to, to make guests feel welcome so, so we can deepen the relationships that we already have. And on that end, during our fellowship times, as I kind of you know, implied earlier, I would encourage everyone, especially those of us who've been attending the gate for a long time, I would encourage you, if, if you're not already, to, to step out of your comfort zones and introduce yourself to people you've never met before. Whether they're new or whether they've been attending the gate for a long time, introduce yourself to others. Because, yes, well, we have a host team that's, that's there to make sure that people feel welcome and noticed, and, and the host team does a wonderful job. The truth is, though, that in order to create... Uh, and have a culture built on relationships and friendliness, we're all responsible. We all need to play a part in that. On that same end, you don't have to wait for a church event to build community either. You can actually take the initiative as well. Um, that's allowed. I, <laughs> I encourage you to do it. And I know some of you are already, but, you know, in, invite people from the church over to your house for a barbecue, eat together, have coffee together, work out together, whatever. Talk, talk about faith and, and Jesus and your passions and your hurts and whatever else. Build relationships with one another. Above all, I would encourage you not to take these, these spaces and opportunities for fellowship for granted. Right? Let's take advantage of them. Like the early church, let's be devoted to fellowship. Let's show up. Let's invest in one another. Let's build relationships. Let's be devoted to our, our personal Bible studies so that when we come into fellowship, we have, we have so much more to offer. Let's be devoted to learning and praying and worshiping together. Devoted to building up not just their own faith, but the whole body of Christ, so that the world will know and see the love and wisdom of God through us. And in conclusion, then, we're, we're now going to receive communion. And communion is, is such a beautiful expression and reminder that Jesus has given us of what fellowship is. That through the grace and perfect, perfect work of Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God the Father, but also with one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one Bread. So as, as we receive communion, then let it, be, let it be a reminder this morning that we're sharing in and, and committing ourselves not only to the Lord, but also to the fellowship, to the building up of the body of Christ.